right, I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and get ready to turn. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture this morning and just reminded in that song that Jamie sang just beautifully, uh, Noel, the word means Christmas. It comes from a Latin word meaning to be born. And I can remember being in algebra. I can't sing Noel, Noel without thinking of this. I was in algebra my sophomore year of high school. I was never good at math, ever, okay? Uh, mom got me tutors and algebra numbers and letters just didn't go together. My mind didn't work that way. And I would studied for this test, and it was Christmas time, so it was around finals. I know our students have finals coming up this week. And our algebra teacher put on the board for a bonus question at the end of the test. Um, zero L minus zero L equals what? And that was the bonus question. Zero L minus zero L equals what? It's Christmas week, that's the final, you know, we're getting out at the end of the day. And I looked at this algebra problem and could not figure it out to save my life. And when she told us the answer that zero L minus zero L equals no L, it all came together. And so, uh, I think I failed that test, and a few a after that, uh, certainly didn't get the bonus that day, uh, but can't sing that song without thinking of uh, that question my algebra teacher asked me. I just thought of that as I was walking up the stairs. It's not in the notes, all right? Um, <laughs> glad you're here today. We're continuing in a series, and uh, this Christmas series, The Thread, Christmas edition, and what I love about uh, Christmas, one of the many things I love is the mystery that surrounds it. And uh, if you have children or grandchildren, you know what I'm talking about. You know, they see their presence under the tree. And if it has their name on it, I mean, they are wondering what is in that box, right? And um, if you have small children, uh, I know this is true for me with uh, our twins. They get that present and they'll shake it around. They want to know what's in it. Um, if they're really mischievous, they'll, they'll kind of look through the crack to see if they can't see. Uh, what's in it, accidentally kind of put a hole in it. You know, they didn't do it. The dog did it. And they're trying to figure out uh, what's in this gift. I thought about that this week um, in preparation for this message because as we're talking about the thread, finding Jesus in the Old Testament, uh, we've looked at various passages in this scripture and we've seen uh, what the Lord is doing uh, throughout the Old Testament is trying to show us his children that there's no need uh, to keep guessing at who the Messiah is going to be. He didn't want us in the dark on who the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one was going to be. And so he gave us throughout the Old Testament in people and in prophecies, in symbols and in scenarios, he showed us exactly who this Messiah is going to be. If we would just look carefully enough, if we would just think deeply enough, if we were familiar at all with the life and ministry of Jesus, it would not be hard at all when you read the Old Testament to see that Jesus, simply by his life and ministry, is no doubt the Messiah to come. We don't have to guess about this. All we've got to do is do the work of reading God's word and asking him by his grace to reveal this truth to us. And in this special Christmas edition, of the thread, we've been looking at how Jesus fulfills the role of prophet, priest, 
and king. Now, if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back. We talked about Jesus as prophet, and what we said is he wasn't just a prophet, he was the prophet, and we're going to keep with the same outline uh, that we had uh, as it relates to uh, who were the prophets and what did they do. This week, the title of the message is Jesus as Priest. And this is what we're going to answer. Who were the priests? What did they do? And then we're going to look at the life and ministry of Jesus and say, ask this question. Does he fulfill this role? Does he fulfill this office? And we'll conclude with a little Christmas word of application, just like we did in last week's message. Let's start by answering this question. Who were the priests? Now, just as it was with prophets, priests were consecrated. Uh, They were set apart, and it was seen in the anointing of oil. We talked about this. If you recall from last week, the anointing of oil represented the Holy Spirit's work, his presence in someone's life. He didn't live in people until after the resurrection and ascension after Pentecost. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people. And so this was symbolized when someone was anointed with oil. And incidentally in the scriptures, those who were anointed with oil in the Old Testament were usually prophets, priests, and kings, but it was all about being set apart. That's a key term, especially for priests. They were set apart for a special God-designed task that he had for their life. And when I talk about being set apart for the priests, they were set apart in every way. They were set apart from the regular group of people from Israel. It was seen in the lineage that they came from. It was viewed in the clothing that they wore. It was seen in the responsibilities that they carried. They were the living representation of the holiness of God. God is holy and set apart. And his priests were to live that exact same Way. I'll give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 28. Now, some of you are getting ready to make New Year's resolutions. And your resolution, one of them might be, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And you've made that resolution before. And if I know some of you, what has happened is, uh, you get through Genesis, and then you get to Exodus, and that resolution muscle is getting a little weaker And if you make it to Leviticus, you're like super saint, right? And so it gets hard because there's a lot of details in Exodus and Leviticus, specifically about priests, about uh, temple worship and the regulations there. And there's a lot of these details and it it makes sense. It's easy to get discouraged because there's a lot of, you can get in the weeds. But it's incredibly important because what God's showing in all of these details is his holiness. You don't just approach God the way that you want to. You don't just worship God the way that you want to. God was requiring, he was teaching the people of Israel that he is holy. And a main way of doing this was setting apart these priests. And one of the ways that you saw it is in what they wore. Exodus 28, an entire chapter on what the priests were to wear. Starting from their linen undergarments that nobody saw but God to their outerwear that everybody saw that really distinguished them from the people of Israel. Look at Exodus chapter 28. Look at verse, we'll just start in verse two. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. And you shall speak to all of the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments. And we'll talk about Aaron in just a moment. To consecrate him for my priesthood. And if you keep reading, you just see all of these specifics related to the garments that the priest was to wear. They were separated from the rest of Israel. 
Not just in their clothing, but in their lineage. Aaron was a Levite. Levi was one of the 12 sons of Israel, of Jacob, and everybody in his lineage is known as coming from the tribe of Levi. Like the prophets of last week, you didn't interview to be a priest. You didn't get your application together and turn in your references and just wait to be interviewed. God had to call you out. You had to be commissioned by God. And it was a special uh, and significant calling out, especially for the Levites, because only the Levites served as priests. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 3. You're in Exodus 28. Just turn over to Numbers chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Listen to what the Bible says. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. And if you read verse 7 and 8, it talks about a little bit about what the priest will do. We'll get into that more in just a moment. Look at verse 9. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons, and you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Like, again, you don't presume on the holiness of God. Nobody just decides that they're going to be a priest and live. If you read Numbers chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, two sons of Aaron who were Levites themselves, priests themselves, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. They presumed upon the holiness of God, and he killed them right there. So this is a sacred thing. God's serious about this. If you look at verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel. The Levites, verse 12, shall be mine. Uh, Originally within Israel, the firstborn was always the Lord's. The firstborn was to be consecrated, set apart to God. And now God says, it's not just the firstborn. I want the Levites. And I'm setting them apart specifically, and they will serve me as priests, they are consecrated to God, anointed with oil. You see it in their clothing that they're separated. You see it in the lineage that they come from. And you see it in the duties that they perform. Uh, now, before we move into what priests did, let me highlight for you two names that you need to know about uh, as it relates to Jesus as priest. These names are in the Old Testament, very familiar if you are, know your Bible and have studied this before. The first priest that you need to be aware of is a man by the name of Aaron. You just heard his name earlier. Aaron uh, is the first what is termed high priest. And he, if the regular priests were set apart, if they were um, considered holy, the high priest, much more so. Uh, you read Leviticus. Much of Leviticus is about the distinguishing uh, factors between the high priest and the office he holds and just the regular priest. Both called to be holy, but there's a little bit more regulations for the high priest. For instance, regular priest, if they had a family member that died, they could mourn over that family member. They could weep over that family member that had died and they would be considered unclean because they touched a dead corpse, but they could go through ceremonial cleansing and be able to participate in the religious activity again. High priests, it didn't matter if your son or daughter died, your mom or your dad. Uh, as a high priest, you could touch nothing unclean, totally separated. They were set apart to God. Again, emphasizing his holiness, nothing unclean. 
You read about the high priest's wardrobe. It was a little different than the regular priests. They stood out a little bit more. The regular priests, they could offer sacrifices, but only the high priest could go into the holy of holies where the very presence of God dwelled, and he could only go in one day a year, the day of atonement, and make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so Aaron was the first high priest, and every high priest that followed, followed in his steps. Another priest that you need to be aware of is a priest by the name of Melchizedek. He's mentioned only twice in the Old Testament. Once in Psalm 110, again in Genesis 14, and we don't know much about Melchizedek. I'll tell you what we do know about him. His name means king of righteousness. The Bible tells us that he is from the city of Salem, which in the Hebrew, where we get our term, uh, our word shalom for, peace, he is from the city of peace. And so you put it together, Melchizedek, is the king of righteousness and peace. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3, says this about Melchizedek the priest. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So Aaron was of the Levitical priesthood. He was of the tribe of Levi. It was hereditary. Melchizedek, he was what is termed as coming from the royal priesthood. He's a type of Christ, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. He has no beginning or end. We don't know where he came from. No genealogy. He is the king of righteousness and peace. We read about him in Genesis 14 after Abraham rescues his nephew Lot from Sodom. Then he wins a battle against some kings who are raiding the land. And as he makes his way back to his home, Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20, listen to what the Bible says. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of righteousness and peace, look at what he brings out. Bread and wine. Sound like anybody else you know in the, Old, in the New Testament? Jesus, the Last Supper, bringing out bread and wine. The Bible describes him as the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And listen to this. Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So what we see here is that Melchizedek, is greater than the high priest Aaron because he came before Aaron. He's greater than Abraham because Abraham offered him a tenth of everything. And so this Melchizedek figure, we need to remember who this is, the priest of the God Most High because we're gonna see, does Jesus fulfill this royal priesthood here in just a minute? Now we've seen who priests are. Now let's answer what do priests do? All right, what, are the, what is their job? All right, you might think of a priest like my pawpaw thought of me. I've told you this before, my, my pawpaw from South Mississippi, a farmer, quit school in the eighth grade when I was learning to preach. My, one of my very first sermons was in his church. 
And uh, I'll never forget going in the kitchen that morning before the church service, and he said, son, uh, sit down here for a minute. And he wanted to coach me up on my very first sermon in his home church. And he gave me a mint. And he said, I want you to put this in your mouth, and when it's done, you're done, all right? He didn't want me preaching very long. And <clears throat> he was convinced that, that pastors only worked once a week. He was like, what do, you, you know, what, do you, what do you do? You work once a week. You could never figure that out, okay? So maybe you're like, what do priests do, all right? Let me tell you. Number one, they, they work more than once a week. Priests offered sacrifices. This is probably what they were best known for. This was their primary role. We get a glimpse of priestly sacrifices even before the law is instituted. If you remember Noah, when he is um, uh, saved from the flood, he gets off the boat. The very first thing he does is build an altar and sacrifice. He acts as a priest right there, making atonement for sin. It's, it's a worship to the Lord. Um, Abraham offered sacrifices. Job offered sacrifice. They acted as priests, but when the Levitical system came into effect, the sacrificial system, it was the, high, it was the priest's job uh, to make sacrifices. And so they had to know what was considered clean, what was considered unclean. They had to know what part of the animal uh, they were to uh, uh, sacrifice and what they were to do with the body and the carcass of that animal. You see all of this in Leviticus chapters one through five. The priest had to know all of that. The high priest, uh, again, a little bit more uh, regulations. They were the ones that were responsible for going into the Holy of Holies, the Day of Atonement. Could only do it one day a year. In fact, look in your Bibles, Leviticus chapter 16. And just to remind you, all of these sacrifices was about blood. Because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Leviticus chapter 19 we can't go into full detail here, but you've got to see this picture. Just starting in verse 2, the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Again, the holiness of God. He doesn't get to come anytime he wants. For I will appear on the, in the cloud of the mercy seat. Verse 3, But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place. He comes with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for the burnt offering. And he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. He shall tie the linen sash around his waist, wear the linen turban. These are holy garments. And he shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And so you see the attention to detail. Again, all about being set apart. All about being made holy. And these garments outwardly, when he walked into the holy of holies, he would be holy. He would be clean. He would be pure. But Aaron was a regular human being, a man. And so while pure on the outside, not pure on the inside, he had to make a sacrifice for himself. And if you were to continue reading in Leviticus chapter 16, that's exactly what he does. He makes an offering for himself, and then he makes an offering for the sins of the people. It's a beautiful picture of what would happen. He would have two goats, and on one goat, he would confess his sins and he would slay that goat and he would put that blood on the altar. That was an act called propitiation because propitiation is an act that appeases the wrath of God. See, sin has tremendous consequences. It incurs the wrath of God. And the only thing that will appease God is a blood sacrifice. And so that lamb, unblemished lamb uh, blood would appease the wrath of God of God, propitiation. On the other goat that was brought in, he would place his hands on that goat 
And he would confess the sins of the people. He would confess their lust of the flesh. He would confess their pride and arrogance. He would confess their immorality. All the sins, he would just confess with his hands on that goat, and then he would send that goat into the wilderness. You've heard the term scapegoat? This is where it came from. And that goat would carry those sins that were confessed upon it into the wilderness, never to return. That act of carrying sins away is called expiation, taking the sins away. And so I just want you to see the picture. John puts two and two together. In John chapter 1, verse 29, when he sees Jesus and he's about to baptize him, he said, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the scapegoat, expiation. Later he would write, 1 John 2, verse 2, that he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, but not only for our sins, but for the sins of the world. Only his blood appeases the wrath of God. And so priests, their main responsibility was to offer sacrifices. Secondly, they taught scripture. It was the job of the priest to teach the law. How else would the people know this is what is clean, this is what is unclean. This is what is a good offering, this is not a worthy offering. It was the job of the priest to teach the law. And if you just read the prophet's writing, Much of the prophets in the Old Testament, as judgment is being brought upon Israel and Judah once the kingdom splits, you listen to the prophets, sometimes they blame the priest for not teaching the law of God and therefore judgment is occurred upon the nation. Doesn't that make sense? Where else are the people going to learn what is pleasing to God? I mean, to draw a practical application of that, you look at the godlessness in our country. You look at the lack of morality, no honoring God. I mean, if you want to, you could take it back and you could trace it back years and years and years ago to priests, to preachers who are supposed to represent God and they stand in pulpits all across America and yet they don't preach truth. They just give people itching ears what they want to hear. And as a result, people don't know how to worship God. People don't know what God expects of them because the priests, the preachers, aren't doing their job of teaching the law. And so there's a responsibility that comes with the priests. They had an obligation to teach people about God and to represent him well. Third, priests made intercession. You read the scripture, this is one of the main tasks of the priests. See, they represented God in what they wore in their lineage. They represented God to the people. They were to to be separate and distinct, but they also represented the people to God. And so they would bring people's requests to God. They would pray for the people. You read Ezra. Ezra was a priest. And when when Jerusalem is rebuilt, Nehemiah uses, uh, you know, God uses Nehemiah to rebuild the walls, but he uses Ezra to rebuild the temple worship. And if you read Ezra chapters 9 and 10, it's just two chapters of Ezra praying for the people in brokenness and and weeping and repentance for them and on their behalf. This is what priests did. They interceded on behalf of people. And then fourth and finally, priests pronounced blessing. This is one of the jobs of the priests, probably the one that you're most familiar with, the Arionic blessing, number 6, 24 through 26. The priest said this, the Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord 
lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He pronounced blessing. Remember in 1 Samuel, Eli the priest, he sees Hannah weeping and he thinks she's had too much to drink. He goes over there and says, what's wrong with you? She's, she's weeping and she's just moving her lips and he says, you shouldn't be drinking. He wants to kick her out of the temple. And she says, no, no, my heart's broken because I, I'm barren. I haven't been able to have a child. And Eli listens to her. And then what does he do? He pronounces a blessing upon her and says, this time next year, you'll have a child. And it comes through. It's a blessing. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he was a priest. He was serving in the temple when an angel comes and says, you are going to give birth. He was an old man. And that angel says, you are going to give birth to the forerunner to the Messiah. And Zechariah didn't believe him. You remember this? And so the angel puts him in a timeout and says, you ain't going to talk again until that baby's born. And sure enough, when the angel decides to loose his mouth, you read Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67, going through verse 79. It is a beautiful pronouncement of blessing over John the Baptist, what his life is going to be like as this child is being born. This is what priests did. They offered sacrifices. They taught scripture. They made intercession. They pronounced blessing. If there's one word that I could give you to sum it all up, here's what a priest did. They served, you ready for this, as a mediator. Now look at this definition of mediator. Looked it right off of Google. All right, here it is. A mediator is a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict Come to an agreement, a go-between. Now, I just want you to hold on to that definition because we're going to come back to it here in just a minute. So the question is this, and what we've seen and who prophets are and what they do, does Jesus fulfill this role? Does he fulfill this office? And the answer is 100% yes. No doubt about it. In fact, there is an entire book in the New Testament dedicated to answering this question. It's the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is all about showing that Jesus is our priest. And the context of Hebrews is amazing. You've got a group of Jewish believers. These are people who have grown up in the sacrificial system, observing the holy days, observing the sacrifices, and yet they have heard the good news of the gospel at Pentecost or sometime after, and they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. They have said, we are walking with Jesus. That's a brand new way of life. And Hebrews is written because these believers who are following Jesus, Jewish believers, are thinking about going back to their old way of life. So their thought process is this. I believe in Jesus by faith, but just think about it. Put yourself in their place. You grew up seeing sacrifices. You grew up with parents who practiced it and taught you the importance of it, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, years and years and years of being taught the importance of sacrifice. And so these Jewish believers are thinking, yes, it's Jesus by faith, but is that all? I mean, we should probably go back and just start doing some more sacrifices offering. After all, it didn't hurt anything. I mean, when we started following Jesus and him alone, uh, some of our family members and close friends thought we were crazy. They disregarded us for following the way. If we go back, maybe there'll be some peace among our family members who are still making sacrifices. It can't be that bad. And the writer of Hebrews writes the entire letter and he says, hold up, all caps, don't do that. Don't go back. Jesus is the high priest. 
And there is no need for sacrifices anymore. Again, it's this thread all the way through Scripture. And so instead of me weaving it together for you, here's what I want to do as we wind this sermon down. I didn't say close it out. We're winding it down, okay? We're, we're, we're touching third right now. Here's what I want to do. I just want to read some passages of Hebrews over you. And let the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, let the writer of Hebrews show us how Jesus is our high priest. We'll start in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Here's what he says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Who is that high priest? Writer of Hebrews says it's Jesus, the son of God. So hold fast to your confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He was fully human, the point of the incarnation. Jesus in the flesh, fully human, tempted in every way as we are, yet look at this, without sin, fully divine. Hebrews 5, verse 1 through 6, for every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. They're appointed. And what do they do? They offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. He's a human. Because of this, he's obligated to offer a sacrifice for his own sins just as he does the people. No one takes the honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You're a royal priesthood. You, you read Hebrews chapter seven, it's all about how Jesus, as our high priest, is greater than Aaron, the high priest. You read Hebrews chapter 8. It's all about how Jesus, our high priest, 7 and 8, is greater than Melchizedek from the royal priesthood. You read Hebrews chapter 9. My goodness, look at verse 11 and 12 of Hebrews 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places. He didn't go through a veil that was created by man, he went into the holy places. How? Not by the means of blood, of bulls and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Just one more, this is it, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14. I remember where I was in my young 20s, sitting at my kitchen table in Carrollton, Texas, when I read Hebrews 10, and I'd read it before, but I read this passage for the first time, and I'm telling you, it jumped off the page and into my heart in such a way, I remember taking notes on it, writing it down, praying it in, and just pushing myself back from the table and just letting it soak in. Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being saved. He's not just the high priest that offers the sacrifice. He is the sacrifice himself. And his sacrifice, that one act, perfects us forever. Go back to that definition of mediator. One more time, they'll put it on the screen. A person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement. What's the conflict? The conflict is we are sinners. And in our sin, we are opposed to God. There is a conflict. And how do we come to an agreement? 
I say this every time after the Christmas spectacular performance that we have the show and I give the invitation. How do we come to an agreement with God? Unholy men and women versus a holy God. We don't come to an agreement based on good deeds. We don't come to an agreement with God based on church attendance. We don't come to an agreement based on being a good person, having a good name. Only reason we came to an agreement with God is because God sent a mediator in his son Jesus. Paul puts it like this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is our great high priest. And as a Christmas word of application, last week with prophets and Jesus being the prophet and fulfilling the prophets, the word was wonder. This week, Jesus is priest. Here's the Christmas word of application. It's the word joy. I know you watch Christmas movies around this time of year. Home Alone, Santa Claus. I know you got some elf fans out there. Remember elf, that in the movie, the sleigh's not working because the spirit meter is broken. And how do they get that spirit meter back going? They gotta sing. That makes the sleigh fly through the air. Hey, some of you walked in here today, you're watching online, and your joy meter is a little low. I don't know why. I mean, it could be with this season, while it's a time of celebration, it's a time of deep pain for you because you're sensing the loss that is yours. That loved one, every, every decoration you put up, every Christmas party you're invited to, it reminds you of your loved one that's not physically present with you anymore and there's pain there. Maybe your joy's a little low. Or maybe you're in a relationship struggle right now. In the busyness of the season, you're running and there's just no peace in your life and your joy is just a, a little bit low. Or maybe it's a financial issue. Your joy's low. You wanna know how to get that joy up? You think long and hard and deeply about Jesus' priest. Because Jesus is our priest, we don't have to go through special routines and dress in a special way to get to God. According to the scripture, we can go into his presence any time we want. We have a, a problem, an issue at hand, stealing our joy. You know Hebrews 7.25 says that God in Christ, our great high priest, you know what he's doing right now? Hebrews 7.25, read it yourself. He is interceding at the right hand of God right now. Jesus is praying for you. You think on that long enough, hard enough, you'll have joy start rising up in your heart that the Son of God is praying for you joy you think about Jesus when he died what happened that veil was torn from top to bottom you have not only access to God but because of his sacrifice your sins are forgiven once and for all perfected forever your sins no longer stand against you joy when you consider Jesus as priest, think long enough and deep enough, and you'll have joy. Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us online. 
We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.